Uh, this morning we're going to begin in a word of prayer, and then I have my very good friend and brother in Christ, uh, Brother Nate Brady, and him and his family are with us this morning. Um, I'm going to have him come, and, and I want him to just give you a summary statement a, um, and just talk to you for a little bit about what God has done through you. You know, in the, um, the book of Mark, chapter 16, I believe it is, it's right there at the end of the book of Mark, we have the Great Commission that goes like this. He told us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, preach it, to, 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 um, to change lives by preaching the gospel. And while each and every one of us as Christians have that call on our lives, it does not necessarily mean that each and every one are going to be called to go to another country and do that, to go to another state even and do that. Uh, in the book of uh, Mark, uh, it's not Mark, in the book of Romans chapter 15, we have the Apostle Paul getting ready to go to Spain. And toward the end of chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, he tells the Romans, he says, I, I look forward to coming and being with you and spending a little bit of time with you and being able to fellowship with you. And I'm praying that maybe you will be able to help me as I prepare to go preach the gospel to a people group where Christ has not been named. And so ultimately we see throughout the Bible that there are special calls on, on certain individuals' lives to actually take the gospel to places where Christ has not been named or to other parts of the world. And so I'm thankful that even though not everyone in here can be involved with that call in your life that you are to go to Guatemala or to India or to any other country that this group is currently... When, I first, when we first started with Chosen People... Do y'all remember, Nate may remember, I think it was 12 pastors they had in training or something like that. And today, how many pastors are y'all training? Or how, Do you know how many y'all have trained? Somewhere around 365. And I'm talking about pastors from little villages, remote villages that, that would have zero training whatsoever. And now they have come out of this training system that chosen people have with the equivalency of a seminary degree. This is an amazing ministry. And let me, I'm not going to preach this morning, I promise. I'm going to get out of the way in just a minute. But I want you to understand something. This is everything. The, I'm not yoked up, or we're not yoked up with chosen people because they feed the hungry, they clothe the naked. Now, are those things needed? Yeah, absolutely. We want to help humanitarian aids. But I'm yoked up with them because they believe in the gospel. They believe in training pastors to teach their church the gospel. To grow them in their faith in the gospel. Because the gospel is everything. You do not change a community or even a person from the outside in. You will not change a single heart by feeding them physical food alone. Can that be a starting point? Absolutely. But the only thing that changes anything is the gospel. I want you to understand something. We don't change things from the outside in. We change things from the inside out. And by the gospel coming in these places, the clear, true gospel of the Word of God, that's where you see communities be able to change from the inside out. Because when the churches are teaching the gospel, guess what happens to the human hearts of sinners in that village? The human hearts begin to change. All of a sudden, the ones that didn't work now understand through the gospel that they are to work with their hands that which is good so that they may have to give to Him who has need. 
And all of a sudden, because their heart has changed, they become giving people even when they really don't even have much to give. And you see this love begin to spread to all of their community because the gospel has changed the heart. You want to see husbands? You want to see husbands be, be good, godly husbands? You're not going to change them from the outside in. You're not going to do it by, by doing things nice for them. The way it's going to happen is when the gospel changes the heart. And when the gospel changes the heart of a husband, all of a sudden the husband can begin to make the changes needed so that he becomes more like Christ. You want to see wives be changed? Guess how they're changed? By the gospel. The gospel is our only hope. Are y'all with me this morning, church? The gospel is our only hope. Unless Christ comes in and gives you and I a new heart, we have no hope. But if you want to see the world changed, then go unto all the world and do what? Preach and proclaim the gospel. And that is why I love chosen people. That's why I love Nate Brady. That's why I love what they do. And I'm excited to be a part of the mission that, that Nate and Aaron and family have really been a big part in creating it to what it is today. God has used this family to help make it what it is today. And I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for their sacrifices. I'm thankful for, for who they are, but I'm most thankful that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ and that the gospel has changed them. So we're going to let Nate come up this morning. I'm going to pray for him before he comes. I want to ask you this morning, if you would remember, you look around, we're missing a lot of people. And um, a lot of flu, lot, just uh, stomach bugs, all kind of stuff going around. I just want to ask you to pray for our family. And then um, I also want to ask you to remember the Alsop family. Remember that Kurt is, um, is going to be buried today. Today is his funeral. But Harley Grace, you know, she had surgery on her face and her jaw. I just heard from Logan earlier today that Last night, she was coming out, bebopping out of the house and fell down the steps. Had to go to Vanderbilt last night, get stitches in her chin. But the worst part, she broke all this again. So she's got to go in and have surgery in the morning. And she's got to have all this uh, redone. And so uh, that family just uh, one thing after the other. So I want to pray for them this morning as well. But um, if you would, let's pray together. So I pray for Nate. Father, we come to you this morning. First and foremost, thank you for the gospel. Thank You for Your Son. Thank You for what You have done for us. We can take no credit for it whatsoever. Father, I just pray this morning and I give You thanks for people like Nate and people like Aaron. I thank You for their family. Lord, I can't even begin to imagine the sacrifices that they have made, um, Lord, just to preach Your Word, just to proclaim the Gospel to all the world. God, thank You for their ministry. Thank You for the work that You are doing in their lives and the future work that You're going to do. Lord, this is all about You. We're just servants of, of Yours, God. And so, Father, I thank You for Nate. I thank You for Aaron. Father, I pray this morning that um, You would be with the Alsop family. Father, I pray for Harley Grace. Father, I pray that this would be an easy surgery, that, Lord, You would heal her jaw, and that, um, Lord, we would be able to come back and just proclaim Your goodness once again. Lord, You're good no matter what You do. But, Father, we pray that You would give us even more reason to come back and just proclaim Your greatness um, in, the, in, in this thing as well. Father, I pray for this family as they bury Kurt today. I pray that they would have a peace that passeth all their understanding. Father, I pray that... Um, Lord, I just pray that You would have mercy on them. Lord, that You would hold them in Your hands and that, Lord, they would know that You are near. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to show them that love today, that they can feel your presence through, through our love that you've given to us, and we show it to them. Father, I pray this morning for the sick in our congregation. Father, I pray that you would heal those that are sick, and I pray, God, that we can all be back together and, um, uh, Lord, worshiping you with one voice, one mind, and one accord. And Father, I just thank you for this family. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we love you. Forgive us of our sins, but we do love you, God. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We on? Good morning. Well, if that's Kevin not preaching, what do y'all get on a weekly basis? Well, it is, uh, it is good to be back with you guys again and uh, just to be able to fellowship and, and, and see you. I wanted to come and, and give you guys an, an update. Um, really, it's not even an update. It is, a, it is an overwhelming amount of things that have been accomplished in the last five years that God has done through Wells Baptist Church in Guatemala. And uh, I know for me, you know, we, we would talk about y'all's partnership with Pastor Florentine and Buena Vista, and we go, man, this is just awesome. The, thing, the amount of things that God has done in five years, and as overwhelming as that was to think about it, how many things have been accomplished, when you put it all together in one place, it becomes really overwhelming and exciting. And so I wanted to share that with you guys this morning. But before we do, um, I, want us to, I want us to go to 2 Corinthians. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians. I want us to see that, that what you guys have done in the last five years and what you will continue to do is an extremely biblical thing. Was that me? No? Good? Okay. An extremely biblically, biblical, God-honoring thing. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want us to read verses 1 through 11. If you, when you get there, say amen. All right. Now, let me give you a little context here. Oh, now you're standing. Here, I'll, let's read it, and then I'll give you the context. Okay. Here we go. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, in our, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with Wells Baptist Church and to rejoice together at what you have accomplished through them in the last five years. I pray that this would be edifying, God, and that you would draw us to you, uh, God, that you would you would cause us to love you more and to rejoice in you and treasure you more deeply. We love you and praise you. I ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so context. So the Apostle Paul is, is talking to the church in Corinth, and he is taking up a collection for the Jews in persecution in Jerusalem. And so he's admonishing them, and they have stated that their, their willingness to give, their willingness to be uh, a part of this collection for the need of the, of the church in Jerusalem. And so he is encouraging them, saying, hey, you wanted to be a part of it, you've begun it, now let's, let's complete it. But he calls it something specific. And I love what he calls it. He calls it um, several times, he calls it an act of grace. So he refers to this collection for the people in need in Jerusalem, the believers, the saints in need in Jerusalem. He, he refers to it as an act of grace. And it is, and I love this because it's an act of grace for the people in Jerusalem, right? They're receiving aid when they need aid. And so it's an act of grace for them, but it's also an act of grace for the people in the church of, in Corinth who are giving as well. And I love this because when I think about Y'all's partnership over the last five years, it has been just that. It has been an act of grace towards the people in Buena Vista, Guatemala. It has been an act of, of undeserved, unmerited favor, right? An act of something that they didn't go to, go to seek, something that they did not necessarily deserve, but something that you guys bestowed upon them in an awesome way. It has been an act of grace. But not only that, it has been an act of grace to you guys as well. And anybody who's gone to Guatemala would say, yeah, amen, absolutely. It has been an act of grace to us in that we have grown and we've been ministered to and we've been encouraged by the brothers and sisters in Guatemala. But Paul Paul ties it to something that makes it a little bit more profound act of grace. Because what we see in verse, um, what we see in verse 9 is that this act of grace, this act of, of giving and going and bestowing is really something divine. Let's read verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Do you know why we give? you know why the believer gives of our time and of our effort and of our money to those who need it? It's because we serve a God who is the ultimate giver who is the author of giving, who is the author of generosity. You know, we were in the car yesterday driving here and, and um, somewhere around Nashville, and, and my wife, she asked me, she said, hey, what's, what's God been teaching you lately? And I had to think about it for a second, and I thought, you know, it's not necessarily that he's, he's teaching me something new as much as I'm just, I'm in awe. Because one of the things that I've realized is that when God gave His Son to come and die on the cross, it was not a one-off event, right? It wasn't something that He just did to go, well, this is just one-time thing to do what I need to do. It is God's very character to be self-sacrificial, to be generous, to be giving, to be humble, to be a servant. I mean, can you imagine that? God Almighty, Sovereign, Lord of all, Creator of all the universe, of everything that is, Ruler, Sovereign Ruler over all, in His very nature, is self-sacrificial and is generous and is humble. And so there's something so much more to this 
than just saying, hey, Wells Baptist Church went to Guatemala and did a lot of these things and it was great and, and we, we accomplished some humanitarian things and some health things and some spiritual things and man, this was just, this was really great. No, it is, it is an act of worship. Just, just the sheer act of, of going, just the sheer act of, of giving and being a part. And this has been a church-wide effort to be a part of what you guys are doing in Guatemala. And it is an act of worship because in doing so, we are copying God and who He is. And we're reflecting that bit of His character by saying, God, if you're generous and if you're self-sacrificial and if you're giving and you're, you're humble and you're a servant, God, we want to be humble. We want to be a servant. We want to give sacrificially. We want to go. We want to serve because you went and you served first. Therefore, we go and we serve. Amen? And I, I love it, which is why... Paul calls it several times, he says, it's an act of grace. It's an act of grace to receive it. It's an act of grace to give it. But it's also an act of grace because by doing so, we're reflecting the God whom we love and whom we serve. Amen? And there's three parts to this. When you look at this passage, Paul pulls out four parts, right? First, he pulls out the desire. He says, you desired to be a part of this work, part of this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. So we see that there's the desire. And I was thinking about that this morning. It's going, man, I remember when the desire came, right? And, and Wells Baptist Church wasn't doing anything in international missions. And you guys as a church said, we really should be doing something in international missions. And the desire was there, right? And so Paul talks about the desire to be a part. The second thing he talks about is, is starting the work, right? And so you guys came to Guatemala and we drug you guys out to Buena Vista and uh, played in the mud. Um, I say played in the mud. We slid up and down and every which way. And oh, man. Um, I'm going to do my best today as I'm, as I'm doing this to describe things to you so that even if you haven't been to Guatemala, you'll understand. But I'll realize that what I'm about to explain to you is so far out of anything you've ever seen or ever known that you're probably going to not understand some of the things that I say. And if that's the case, go talk to Chris or Callisto or Kevin or Chaz or anybody who's been on these trips, and they'll tell you and help you understand a little bit more. But, man, you guys came. I remember that we were blown away because you guys came, and it was muddy. It was messy. There was no running water. There were no windows in the church. The fog just rolled right on through the church, and it was cold. We had mud up to our armpits. It was miserable. When we got there, what was that, like 11 o'clock at night, and we got there, and we had to lug all those 50-pound suitcases about 100 yards up the hill in mud about that deep, you know? And it was miserable. And you know what? You guys came, and you served, and there was no complaints to be heard. It was just humble service. Now, that was five, six years ago. Now, so you started the work and we began doing the work. And now here we are five years later, six years later, and the work has been completed. And we set out, we said, hey, a five year partnership. Now, that's a big commitment for a church. Five years is a big commitment for a church to say, hey, for the next five years, this is what we're going to be doing. And for the last for those five years, you guys were fiercely committed to Pastor Florentine and the church in Buena Vista to go and to serve, and to serve selflessly and humbly. And it was awesome to watch it. It was awesome. So I want to give you guys just a little bit of an update. And I know that you guys have, um, you guys have had updates after the team 
has come home and things like that. But what I want to do this morning is give you an, an update on not just what has been accomplished, but the, the impact of that in Buena Vista. Because I had the benefit of watching Buena Vista from before you guys ever came to when you guys finished your partnership and seeing how much change has happened and how much the, the DNA of that community and that church has changed in those last five years. So um, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go through and give just the numbers of what has happened, and then I'm going to go through and kind of talk about the impact of that. So, and I'm going to break this into uh, health, education, and nutrition. Is that me? Am I doing that? It's the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, we'll start out with health. So health-wise, one of the biggest issues in Buena Vista is, is health issues, right? So things that, for us, if we get sick, we go to urgent care, we go to the, get us a doctor's appointment, we go to the hospital, whatever, we get an appointment, we get, we get a prescription, we knock that thing out, and we go on with life, right? Things that in this community, those things do not exist, and you get sick, and you can get sick from a common cold and end up in the grave, right? Because the medical treatment is just not there. And so one of the things is um, a lot of these people were just cooking in open fires in the middle of their little mud brick tin roof house and breathing all that smoke. And the smoke, the fire would go all night, so they wouldn't be cold. And so they're cooking over fire and breathing smoke. They're sleeping in smoke. They're doing everything in smoke. And we would go in and we would take a roof off and there would just be these, uh, these stalactites of creosote hanging from the rafters where they've been burning the, the cypress wood in there and the tar. And they're breathing all of that, right? And so day in, day out, they're breathing it. So we were able to install 57 stoves. Now these are high efficiency stoves, right? They don't use as much wood. Um, and they all have functioning chimneys since all the smoke goes outside it's awesome okay um we did we were able to do 70 water filters one of the big issues in guatemala is is clean water is the ability to, to drink water and not get sick from it um you know one of the things we do in guatemala is we also drill water wells and we've had entire communities down an entire community down with dysentery at one time because of the drinking water while we're there drilling wells or someone will die from a waterborne illness while we're, while we're drilling the well. I mean, it is a serious, serious issue. We take for granted the fact that I can walk over to the garden hose and I can take a drink out of the garden hose. I don't have any issues. I'm good, right? We, we so take, take that for granted. We were able to do 70 water filters. It allows them to drink water and not get sick. We did 33 roofs, right? So here in the States, um, the roof starts leaking a lot of times on our house, and it's like, oh, there's a water spot on the roof. We need to get the roof replaced, right? And we get the roof to come out, and they replace it because we had a water spot. Well, there, I mean, they do the tin roof, and it rusts through, so they hang plastic under that, and then the plastic dry rots. And I mean, it's just, when it rains, it's just, it's basically raining inside the house as well. And so you guys were able to um, support them to do 33 roofs on 33 different houses. Not only that, you guys funded countless medical countless medical emergencies. Um, and again, these are things that, little things that left untreated leads to big things or leads to death. And I don't know how many times you guys did not avert that kind of crisis in Buena Vista by, you know, we get on the phone and say, hey, Chris, Kevin, here's what we got. We got the situation. There's a sister in the church or a lady in the community. She's sick. She needs to go to the hospital. She needs the surgery. They don't have the money. Can, can you guys help with that? And you guys would help with that, and we were able to meet those needs. Um, so, all right, education. Also, we went out there. There was one school. Um, the desks were all broken. 
And I think that was one of the first things you guys did was just supply new desks for the community so the kids could actually sit in their desk without it falling over. Um, and then it was just one school, and it was basically their version of, of kindergarten. That was it. So if you wanted education beyond kindergarten, you had to go an hour away, which was not feasible at all. And I think there were like 50 kids who were going to school. And through you, through y'all's support, and also through the effort of the community, which was just awesome, um, we built three schools. And they have the entire education all the way through high school in that community. I mean, you could probably count on two hands the communities that have all the way through high school in their own community in Guatemala. Like, it's unheard of. It is unheard of. And so they went from having almost no access to education whatsoever to having quality education in the community where their kids can go all the way through and graduate high school without ever having to leave their village. That's insane. That's unheard of. It's awesome. I'm going to get into the impact of that in a little bit. Um, all right, nutrition. So basically they, they grow their own corn and they, they live off of tortillas and fruit and maybe a chicken here and there. Like there's very little to eat out there. And if they're, if they're more well off, they'll eat beans with their tortillas. If not, it's just straight up tortillas. And the issue that they have, they, they were having out there is that they would finish their corn at the end of the rainy season and that there were about two or three months when they wouldn't have any corn at all until their corn grew and they were able to harvest again. And so they were basically in starvation mode for three to four months, certain families for three to four months out of the year. And so what you guys were able to do is, is come in and provide corn and beans for those families to be able to, um, to be able to eat. So now this is my favorite part. Okay. Those are the, just the things that you guys done. I want to talk about the impact of that. Okay. So number one, the stoves, respiratory health. We would go out there and we would do home visits. And if you've, you've been, um, you understand we walk in, we do a home visit and there's that deep throated cough, you know, there's just the, the respiratory issues. And we would go out there and we would say, Hey, how can we pray for you? And the women would say, Oh, we got this cough or you know, my eyes are hurting or, or what, and it was just, it was all of the smoke that they were breathing. So by getting these, by getting these stoves, we're able to get the smoke out of their house, have a healthy way to cook, um, to where they're not exposed to all of this smoke over and over and over again. And again, this is a thing where a, a simple sinus infection turns into serious, right? And so, but just by having a stove in their house and getting the smoke out made a world of difference. And, you know, you tell me, when you get sick, all right, and it can be just a common cold. Do you feel like working? No, you don't feel like working, right? Do, do you feel like um, doing anything productive with your family? <laughs> no, you feel like spending hanging out with your kids? No, you don't feel like doing anything other than you just feel bad, right? And so can you imagine living in a house where your house is making you sick 300, 365 days out of the year, and that's just how you live? Well, that's what the stove has done, is it's enabled these families to be able to get that smoke out of their lives and to be able to increase their or improve their respiratory health, which makes them feel better, which increases, pro increases productivity and increases parents' involvements in their lives. It increases how kids pay attention in school, how the kids feel. It's a big deal. And also, these stoves use like one-tenth of the firewood that, uh, that they were using before. Okay, And so if you imagine that these families were doing three to four hours a day just cutting firewood, you've now got three to four hours a day that you have to do other things, right? Whether that's look out, seek out some other economic 
income for your family, whether that's spend time with your kids, whether that's work on your house, work on your marriage, whatever. So by getting these stoves, it also greatly increased their time that they had during the day to do other things. Um, also, you know, if, if you've been out there, you've also noticed there's very few trees out there, and it's because they've chopped them all down for firewood to be able to cook food over. And so as they get these stoves, as they're using less firewood, the trees are starting to come back. Um, and that's good for their coffee. That's good for their land. that keeps the erosion down. It's just, it's, it's, an, it's um, I watched a video a couple years ago, and it was talking about the impact that just introducing wolves back into Yellowstone has had, how rivers have changed their course and how all of these things have happened, right? And it's one little thing. It's reintroducing a predator back into the ecosystem, right? It's the same kind of thing when you change a stove, when you change a family's health, when you change the amount of time they do cutting firewood. You cannot imagine how that just spreads and changes everything in that community. Um, also, pride in their home. This may have been one of my favorite parts. Um, we would go and, and we would do a stove or we would do a, a roof on a house and you'd walk in and it's dirty and there's trash everywhere and outside is just, it's all down and we would go in and we would install a stove or we would put a roof on the house and you'd come back by the next day and you know what? The house was spotless. The front yard was decorated, had rocks down the, down the walkway, right? And we had taken something that for them was like, well, this is the place where we live and we just don't think about it. We don't look at it and it's not great, but it's what we've got and we turn it into something they can be proud of, right? Because they walk in and they go, check out, did you see the new stove that the church provided for us, right? Um, and when I say the church, I mean Pastor Florentine's church, not Wales Baptist Church, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, but they would take pride in their house, right? Which when you take pride in your house, what does that do? Well, man, that impacts everything, right? Because you take pride in your house, and all of a sudden it's like, man, I think I'm going to wash my face today, you know? All right? I think probably we should we should do something about this over here. I think, well, here, Junior, come here. You've had a dirty diaper for the last six hours. Let me take care of that. You know, right? It just it has an impact on all of your life when you've just gotten so used to just living and surviving, and all of a sudden there's one aspect in your life that you go, I'm proud of that. And it ripples through your entire life. It ripples through your family. And we've all experienced that. The water filters. Um, digestive health. Oh my goodness. How many times the home visits we didn't go into and that was the issue. And they were saying, I just, I can't work. I'm cramping. My stomach is, is killing me. And I just, I haven't been able to work or my husband's been down and he hasn't been able to work. I mean, in that culture, in that context, when you're down and you can't work, there's no insurance. There's no workers comp. There's nothing. You just cease to have money to do anything. Right. And so by, by having these water filters cut down on their on their, on, their, um, on their health issues. And also, I think this is one of the things that we often overlook. It, it creates a culture that understands something. Because prior to water filters, everyone drinks the same water, everyone is sick. But when you drop, was it 70 water filters into that community, and all of a sudden those 70 families stop having diarrhea, stop having stomach cramps, and everyone goes, well, there's something to that. I bet it is the water that's making us sick. And all of a sudden, you've just created a culture in a community that understands hygiene, that understands we need to be careful with our water. We need to be careful with where our water comes from. And if we don't have a filter, maybe we should boil it. Maybe we should, right? And so you've just changed the culture of a community to go from we're all sick, this is just the way we live, to 
wait, we don't have to live this way. We just have to take care of our water and we'll be okay. I'll want a piece of that action, right? And so you, you, you've begun to change the hygiene of the community. Um, and I hit on roofs with just the respiratory health and, and the pride in the home and not being able, being able to sleep without being wet. Um, and then the emergency medical care. When you, you go from, again, this is part, this is part that's hard to understand because we live in the United States and our insurance has insurance, you know? I mean, um, you know, Brian, I was talking to you the other day, right? And you've got insurance on your side-by-side. And I was like, I didn't know you could get insurance on your side-by-side, right? Like, I mean, we have insurance for everything, but in this culture, there's no insurance. There's no backup plan, right? Like, if you have a medical emergency, there's nowhere to get that money. There's nowhere to go. You're literally helpless to do anything about a common cold, about cancer. Your appendix ruptures, so sorry, there's nothing you can do. It, it, and it, it breeds this, this, um, this feeling of hopelessness. Say, there's, there's nothing. There's no way out of this. There's nothing we can do about it. It just is what it is, and oh well. And when you guys met those needs, and I'll, I'll hit on this just real quick here. When you guys met those needs, we were very careful. When we trained Pastor Florentine to say, hey, when you call us, don't say anything to those people about Wells Baptist Church. You say, let me talk to the brothers in the church and let's see what we can do. Then you call, we'll talk to Wells Baptist Church and if they can help, you guys meet that need and it did not come from Wells Baptist Church. It came from your church. That little Baptist church in Buena Vista, Guatemala is the one who met those needs. And so all of a sudden, you've reoriented reoriented a community that doesn't go, oh, hey, when we have a problem, let's go to the government. Or when we have a problem, let's go to the white people, right? It was we have a problem, let's go to our church because they care. And it was the most amazing thing to watch the confusion in the community as that little church started to meet needs of not just church members, but Catholics and Jehovah's Witnesses and atheists. And the people were going to the priest and going, um, so the, the Baptist church wants to put a roof on my house. Like, can I accept that? You know? And they're having this little theological discussion going, can we... Can we take something from the Baptist? I mean, we're Catholics, but can we take something from the Baptist, right? And the, and the priest goes, every good, perfect gift comes from above. So yeah, if they want to put a roof on your house, they can put a roof on your house. And you begin to see the walls come down in that community between the Baptist and the Catholics. And there's been a whole lot of persecution in that community for years Serious persecution to the point the government had to step in and say, look, Catholic Church here, if y'all don't back off, we're going to have to come in here and straighten this out because they were persecuting the evangelicals in the community. And so when that church starts to meet needs of atheists and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Catholics, those walls start to come down. And they begin to be able to talk to those families about the gospel and win them over to the gospel. It's awesome. Education. So, um, I love how the schools went down because it wasn't that Florentine said, hey, we got some schools we need to build and you guys gave the money and Florentine built the schools. It was that the community came together and said, hey, we need to do something about our kids' education. Let's pile all the money we can get. Let's collect every penny that we can get together as a community and let's build a school. And then they ran out of money. And that's where you guys stepped in and said, 
Well, you just need a floor, you need a roof, you need windows. Okay, we'll, we'll take care of that. And you guys raise the money for a floor or for windows or for a roof. But you know what? The people of Buena Vista do not know that Wells Baptist Church provided the windows and the floor and the roof and the, and the foundation for the other school. They don't know that. You know what they know? They know Pastor Florentine and his church provided that money. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because, again, for five years we've been pointing them back to that church and saying, hey, this is where you go. These are the people who love you, who care about you, regardless of past history, regardless of your denomination, regardless of if you're from up the hill or down the hill, or doesn't matter. You are valued, and they love you, and they want to serve you because God loves you. Amen? It's awesome. It's awesome. So, pride in their children's achievements. This is a big deal. Again, you take, a, you take a community that has never had more than kindergarten and only 50 kids. There are, um, in Buena Vista and Gracias a Dios, there's somewhere around 450, 475 households, okay, that, that live there. Now, you consider 450, 475 households and only 50 kids were in kindergarten. You do the math. How much does that community value education? Nil, Right? But now, with the three schools, and there's over 500 kids studying, what's just happened? Well, the culture of the community has been changed to one that goes, this is important. We value education. We value the fact that our kids can go and get a quality education and do more in life than just survive. But they can thrive. And you guess what? I, I would love to go back out in Buena Vista in about 10, 15 years and see it then. Because guess what? All of those educated kids grow up and they turn around and start living in that community and start working in that community and start tackling the issues in that community. It's going to look completely different. And it already looks completely different. Six years in and it looks completely different. But I can't imagine what it's going to look like in another 10 to 15 because of what you guys have put into it. And again, and I love how you guys put into this community because it wasn't done in such a way to go, oh, you have this need and this need, we're just going to meet your needs, right? It was done in such a way that, hey, we're going to do this from the shadows in the background where you don't actually know that it's us and where you think it was you so that you're motivated and you have the confidence to go in and tackle these issues and you think it was that local church and you're looking to them, right? So when you, when you take this community that has never valued education and all of a sudden you go, oh, my kid, my kid just graduated La sexta, the sixth grade, you know? Wow, really? Sixth grade? I mean, how many kids out there in the last 20 years have ever graduated the sixth grade? You can probably count them on two hands. Probably count them on two hands. And those parents start to take pride. And that other parent whose kids aren't in school goes, I want to feel that way about my kids. I want, I want my kids to be able, I can be able to say to my neighbors, hey, Pedro here, he just graduated from the sixth grade, right? And so you're changing a culture, and that's not something that stops when your five-year commitment stops, right? That's something that just keeps on going. It just keeps on going. And that's what we're after from the very beginning is to go, hey, 20 years from now, we don't want Buena Vista and Gracias a Dios to look the same. We want it to be transformed because somebody invested five years and gave them the tools to go, all right, now run, right? I love it. I love it. Y'all still with me? Okay, nutrition. So, this is cool. So, food for 900 families, okay? And this was over the five-year period, okay? And so these are the families who, um, these are the families who genuinely have need. They have nothing to eat. And you guys came along and said, hey, we'll, we'll help with that need by supplying the corn and the beans. Um, 
And a lot of times in Guatemala, what happens is, is people distribute food to just everyone, right? And so you'll have people who don't need it getting food and the people who really, really do need it not getting the food. And so what we were able to do is we're able to put that in the hands of Pastor Florentine and say, Florentine, you know this community. You know the families that have need. Jehovah's Witnesses, atheists, Catholics, we don't care. We want the families that are in most need of this food. And that is exactly where the food went. There wasn't a bunch of families that didn't need it getting food. It was the families who needed it getting that supplemental food to be able to get them through that three to four months till they could harvest their corn again. And I used to think that, that this was like, you know, just a, a matter of being hungry or not being hungry. But um, when you start to begin to understand that a child who is malnourished can't concentrate, right? They don't feel good. They can't think. They can't remember. Their eyes aren't developing. Their brain isn't developing. Um, it's astounding. You know, when you look at uh, third world countries and you, and you look at the need, it's not simply a lack of education, right? It's also a lack of the brain developing as it should because the nutrition is not there when it should be. And the vitamins are not there when they should be. So now you take five years, all right? And you got five years of kids. And how many kids? I mean, we'd do a kids event. There'd be like 600 kids show up, right? And you take, you take a five-year window of Buena Vista and you take those kids and you eliminate the faulty nutrition for five years. So for that five-year window, you've got kids whose brains are developing, whose eyes are developing, whose bodies are developing as they should, who are getting the education that they should. Well, that just snowballs, right? It's not just a matter of not being hungry. You'll see what happens a lot of times is kids will go to school in, in Guatemala or in a third world country and they'll go home and their parents will say, what'd you learn today? And what does the kid say? Nothing, right? Now, if your kid goes to school here and he comes home and says nothing, you go, whatever, you learned something today, right? But you send a malnourished kid to school and he sits at his desk and he can't think and he can't pay attention and he can't remember. He literally comes home having learned nothing. So when his parent says, hey, what'd you learn today? And he goes, nothing. The parent goes, school's a waste of time. My kid's not learning anything. I'm going to pull him out. It's better that you just, you just come work with us. Come work in the coffee or in the corn today. There's no point in you going to school. You're not learning anything anyway. When you take a kid and you give him proper nutrition, and you put him in school and he goes home, and the dad says, what would you learn today? And the kid goes, well, we learned this and this and this. Well, guess what just happened? That parent just had it reaffirmed that school's important and my kid's actually learning and my kid's growing. But on top of that, I want you to think about this as well. Think about the teachers. We would be out there in the mornings and the teachers would roll in. There's six or seven of them that come from Jalapa, which is like an hour away. They come out there every day to teach those kids. From a, How many of you guys are teachers or work in education? Raise your hand. Two? Three? Yeah? All right. So if you work in education, can you imagine how frustrating it is to come and stand in front of a classroom of kids that are just eyes glazed over every day and aren't learning anything? How unmotivating that is for you to show up and give, give everything every day when they don't show up half the time or when they do show up, they don't pay attention, they're not learning. Think about the change that comes for, just for the teachers themselves when those kids get proper nutrition and when the parents begin to value education. What does that do for the job those teachers are doing teaching those kids? Right? Quality of, of the teaching just went through the roof because parents are motivated. Parents feel or parents, yeah, yeah, parents are motivated. Teachers feel valued, right? 
They feel respected. They feel like, hey, this is something, something's actually coming of my work and my pouring into these kids, right? And so you just, by doing one small thing, as small as just some extra food, snowball ripple effect through everything down to people living an hour away from one small thing. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, all right, so I, I'm going to go full into how you guys did this. It's, so, And I've hit on this a little bit. When you guys would meet a need, we were very careful to go, hey, this is not Wells Baptist Church. This is Pastor Florentine and his church who want to bless in this way. And people would come to us while we're out there and say, hey, oh, my kid's sick. Can you give some money towards this, whatever? And we would say, you know what? That's not really what we're here to do. Um, why don't you go talk to Pastor Florentine? He's, he's their pastor here and he's really the one you should go talk to, right? And so then they go talk to Florentine and then Florentine would go talk, come talk to us and we'd go, yeah, I talked to her today coming up the mountain. We stopped and spoke with her. Brother, what do you think? You think that's an actual need there? You think that's something we should meet? And he would say yes or no. And we'd go, okay, so what do you think it would take to take care of that? And he'd go, well, I think it would take this. And so then we would go to Kevin or go to Chris and say, Chris, this is what he said. This is what it's going to take. And we'd go, okay, yeah, I think we could take care of that. And then Pastor Florentine would go back to that family and say, hey, we as a church want to bless you in this way. So that it was never us that said, oh, here, we're here to solve your problems. We're here to give you stuff. Um, there was one year we did shoes. We went out there the year before. And uh, people with toes hanging through shoes everywhere or no shoes at all and walking around in mud. And you walk around in mud and manure, barefooted, parasites go in between your toes and into your skin and you get sick just from walking around, right? So there's an entire community of kids running around barefoot because they don't have shoes and their parents can't afford shoes. So you know what you guys did? You guys bought a thousand pairs of shoes. Shoes and boots. But they don't know that. All they know is... Man, the Tienda is running a killer special on boots and shoes right now. Like, seriously, you can pick up boots and shoes for $1.75 a pair. But we're going to get the whole family shot, you know? Like, and so, but they don't know that, right? You were able to meet a physical need and they never knew. All they know is, man, somehow prices are really low right now. And we didn't bring in a bunch of shoes from somewhere else and kill the shoe market for the two guys running stores in the community either. We bought those thousand pairs of shoes from the two guys that own the stores, right? So we didn't kill the shoe market. Kids get shoes. And you know what? They have no clue where it came from. It's awesome. Because the last thing we want to do is show up and say, hey, we're the savers. We're here to meet all your needs. And if y'all just look this way, we'll take care of everything, right? There's, there are parts of Guatemala that have been destroyed by that. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans come every year thinking they're doing good work and giving stuff and giving stuff. And I've worked with those people. I've worked with those Guatemalans trying to get them to go, hey, think outside the box here. Why don't you start a small business? Why don't you open a little restaurant out of your house front so that you can generate some, some sustainable income? And you know what? Years of free handouts has made them. They don't think they can. They don't, not only do they want to, they don't think they can. They don't think they have the ability. They've been told for years that you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you need somebody else come in here and fix it for you. And so we were very careful going into Buena Vista going, hey, these people are resourceful. I love them. Because that entire community, if they had a need, it's a lot like Pulaski right now. This family who's in a car wreck, a lot like that. The entire community would just buckle down and go, what's it going to take to get this done? Let's do it, Right? And they had that kind of attitude of going, hey, we don't have much, but together we can 
we can accomplish this. And so we were very, very careful to go, hey, let's not go in and ruin that. Let's preserve that and enable that to go so much further than they think they can, right? Okay, y'all ready for the good part? That was the boring part. Y'all ready for the good part? All right, so my favorite part of this, as awesome as the roofs and the stoves and the nutrition and the education and how far-reaching that's going to be for years to come in that community, the spiritual impact is where it's at for me. We can go out there and, like Kevin said, when he wasn't preaching, we can go out there and meet all the physical needs we want and if we've left them without knowing who God is and understanding the gospel, we have failed miserably. We've made them a little more comfortable on their way to hell. And so Kevin kind of alluded to this. What we do as an organization is we train pastors. Y'all don't know, understand how, I've told y'all this before, you don't understand how blessed you are to have a, have a pastor like Kevin and like Nick who loves you, but who understands how to correctly handle the Word of God. There are millions of pastors worldwide who are really good talkers and know absolutely nothing about the Word of God. And you know what happens? There are people file into their church every Sunday thinking they're hearing God's Word and all they've heard is man-made lies. And that's it. When we went to Guatemala, that's what we saw. We saw an entire country full of pastors who had no training. And again, these are not shysters, right? These are not men who are going, I'm going to see. Some of them, yes. Some of them are, right? Some of them are men who go, I'm going to deceive. I'm going to get all the money I can, all the power, all the respect I can. But you know, the majority of those guys love the Lord, love His people, but very much ill-informed. Very much ill-informed. And so what we do as an organization is we go to those pastors and we train those guys, equivalent of a seminary education in two years. Now, this is the part that, that gets me fired up because when you take Pastor Florentine, when we started that partnership, Pastor Florentine had been there 18 years, okay? Um, he heard, who was it? It wasn't John MacArthur. Um, was it Adrian Rogers? I, yeah, I think you're right. It, he heard an Adrian Rogers message on the radio, okay, that had been dubbed into Spanish, heard the gospel, gave his life to Christ and said, man, the people in my community need to know this gospel. And so he turned around and went right back to his community and planted a church. Now, what's his experience as a believer? Well, he heard Adrian Rogers on the radio, right? That's it. So apart from what he continues to hear on the radio, he has no education whatsoever. His own, his own um, just school education is very limited. So for 18 years, he labored in this community and he had 28 people in his church when we got there. 99.9% .9 of them were all women, right? Women and kids, that's, that's all he had. And he hadn't had any additions to that in quite some time. Why? Lack of training. All the heart, all the passion, all the love for the Lord, no understanding of how do I do this? How do, I, how do I understand God's Word? How do I teach God's Word? How do I make disciples? And what happens when you do that is what happens, happened to me when I first started in ministry. I taught things, and then afterwards I learned, and I went, uh-oh, that was not right. I was teaching a lie. And I had to go back and apologize and say, hey, I'm so sorry. I was teaching you all this, and that is not right. I've learned that this is not right. 
Well, that's what you had with Florentine, was he was teaching in his church, and he was teaching wrong, right? He was opening God's Word and just going, I'll talk about this today, right? And just talking. So what has happened, we came in and we trained him for two years, then you guys came in and did a five-year church partnership. Um, The church has been spiritually transformed. Pastor Florentine has been spiritually transformed. They've gone from a church that uh, Pastor Florentine's understanding of discipleship was, well, y'all come in here on Sunday and I, I say something from Scripture, we sing some songs, and good, we're making disciples, right? Now, that, that was it. That was just his understanding. He didn't understand anything further than that. And beyond that, he was teaching the Word of God incorrectly. And one of my favorite passages is Nehemiah 8, and it talks about they, got the, they found the Word of the Law, right? They're rebuilding the temple. They found the Word of the Law. It's been neglected. And they pull it out and they read it, okay? And it says, but they read it, and explain the sense of it so everyone who was listening could understand. You know what happened right after that? On their faces weeping before God because they realized we're in sin. You know what happened after that? Great joy and rejoicing because they realized not only have we sinned, we have a God who is forgiving and loving and gracious who's willing to restore us. Yeah, but you know what? That came through the right teaching of the Word of God. If Nehemiah had gotten up there and said something about, well, this fig tree represents this, and so we're going to do this over here, and if you do this, and you say these three things, and you do this, right? And he just made something up, there would have been no weeping, and there would have been no joy, and there would have been no restoration. And that's what it looks like a lot of times in these little communities in third world countries, and that's what it looked like in Buena Vista. And so we got there and began to teach Florentine, began to teach his leaders, hey, what does it look like to study God's Word? How do, you, how do you rightly handle the Word of God? How do you prepare a sermon? How do you make disciples? Um, and I love it. Kevin would come, and we'd sit out there by, um, by this little uh, incandescent bulb at Florentine's house, and we'd talk, we'd talk church discipline, we'd talk communion, we'd talk baptism, we would just, and we would just discuss these things with Pastor Florentine. It was awesome because it was so sharpening for Pastor Florentine to be able to sit down with your pastor and say, what about, what about this? Walk me through this. Help me understand this better. And so now, when you, look, when you go back and you walk into that church, that church is probably 50% men, which is unheard of in Guatemala. That does not happen. And you know why it's 50% men? Because Pastor Florentine discipled his leaders. And then Pastor Florentine and his leaders went out and shared the gospel and have begun discipling men. And that work is still going on. Chris got an update the other day that a lady that they prayed with while they were there didn't really want anything to do with the gospel at all has accepted Christ. The work is still going on. That's the beauty of going and training Pastor Florentine and training his leaders and modeling for them what is discipleship and what is the gospel and what does it look like to value the Word of God. And that fruit goes on 365 days a year. You guys are here in Pulaski and the repercussions of what you guys did didn't stop when boots came off the ground in in Buena Vista, Guatemala. But it's still cracking down every day. 365 days a year, the gospel's being proclaimed, disciples are being made, new believers are being baptized. Amen? And it shows up in some crazy ways. I'll tell you the craziest way. The thing that tells me that the Holy Spirit is at work in Buena Vista, Guatemala. Guatemala... Marriage doesn't look anything like it does here. Oh, there's still some marriages that it functions basically like this. But in, in Guatemala, almost countrywide, and it's developing country thing, marriage works as, look, I marry you because I think you're pretty, 
and you make me feel good. Then we get married and we have some kids. Now you're just my wife. Cook the food, keep the house in order, take care of the kids. Don't complain, right? That's the extent of a husband's care for his wife in Guatemala or in Central America or in third world countries. Because this whole thing of, this whole understanding of I need to care for my wife emotionally, I need to care for her spiritually, I need to be understanding, I need to be patient, I need to be loving, I need to be humble, right? I need to be a servant of my wife. Completely foreign concept in Guatemala. And when we started, Pastor Florentine was no exception to that rule. No exception. Now his wife was from Guatemala City, so she's a little more modernized than he is, and she had some notions about, hey, he should actually be, you know, doing something romantic, right? Anniversary rolls around, do something, right? Well, he's a country boy, and it's just... What? It's our anniversary? Where are my tortillas at? Why are you griping and complaining? I put a roof over your head. I got food on the table. Stop your complaining, woman. Right? And this is a guy that loves the Lord. But you know what? His understanding has not completely been transformed by the Word of God. And through, through the work of you guys, through the work of Kevin, through the work of us, and discipling him and training him and, and walking him through, hey, marriage is to be a picture of Christ and His church. And his church and the husband is to love the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he's just, he's just thinking this through. He's just thinking it through. About eight, nine months ago, he calls Jose, our guy in Guatemala, and he says, hey, do you think you could come up here and maybe do some marriage counseling with my wife and I and teach me what it looks like to love her like Christ loved the church? I realize I have not been doing a good job loving her and reflecting Christ to her. I need to do that. Would you come and help me do that? I understand the culture. I understand the humility that that takes to do and the guts that that takes to do, but also the transformation that has to happen in the mind and the heart of a man to go, I need to love her better because Christ loves me. And I want to love her like Christ loves me. When you get that kind of transformation in Buena Vista, Guatemala, you got something. The gospel is alive and well, and the Holy Spirit is applying His Word to the hearts and minds of the believers in that church. And you get to see that. You get to see people being transformed by the gospel. Um, you know, we would go and we would do home visits, and uh, I would listen to you guys share the gospel. and It was really fun to watch you guys grow in that. First year was so awkward. I'm just going to be straight up. All right, Kevin, Kevin, it wasn't awkward. You got it, right? You're a rock star. For everyone else who doesn't do that on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, or right? You're like, that's not your job to do that? It was awkward. It was hard. And I'm kind of, there was a couple home visits. I'm standing behind. I'm just kind of scratching my ear going, we need to work on this. This is not so great, right? <laughs> but you know what? You kept coming. And you learned, and you adapted, and you changed. And I watched as people on the team got better at sharing the gospel, not because someone said, okay, these are the elements of the gospel and this is how you do it, but because their own understanding of what God had done for them became so much clearer and so much stronger that sharing the gospel just became, man, let me tell you who I am. And let me tell you what God has done in my life. And let me tell you what the gospel will do in your life if you will allow it to. Awesome. 
awesome. And when we would do those home visits, we would take members of that church with us. You know what they were watching? They were watching somebody else share the gospel. Somebody who wasn't a pastor. Somebody who wasn't an elder or a deacon. Just, a, just an average Joe church member from Pulaski, Tennessee, who showed up and said, can I share something with you? And those church members are watching that and going, oh, I guess I'm supposed to do that too. Well, I'm watching them. That's how they do it. I'll do it that way, right? And as we did home visits, you guys were modeling for that church in Guatemala. How do you do a home visit? How do you walk in someone else's house, value them as a person? Not just walk in and go, okay, I'm going to share with you today and you need to hear what I'm going to say, right? But to walk into their house and go, look, I value you as a person. I care for you as a person. Can I share something? The most important thing in my life, can I share that with you? Because it's been so important for me. I really want you to know it too. I want you to be able to know him and enjoy him like I know him and enjoy him. Well, that's transformative right there, right? And as you guys work together as a team, you know what they were watching? They were watching y'all work together as a team. They were going, man, that's what a church looks like. There's no bickering and arguing and complaining. It's just a church that's working together for the gospel. There's a difference of opinions, but man, there's unity in where, where they're going. We need to be a church like that. And you guys came and you taught them how to do Awanas. You know, one of the things they told me the first, first couple times I've been there, they said, we're losing all of our kids. So they hit 12, 13, they're gone. And we never see them again. They have no interest in the gospel whatsoever. And so that's one of the things that Wells Baptist Church worked on with them was to go, hey, let's, let's teach you and train you how to do Awanas, how to work with your kids. Last time I was in Buena Vista, I asked the lady who's in charge of Awanas, I said, hey, how's your... Uh, How's it going with, with the young people in the church? With not just the kids, but also with the young adults because they have a growing young adults group in their church as well. And she goes, we're not losing any of them. She's like, they're staying. You know why they're staying? Because they're getting something real. They're getting God's Word. Amen? And you know who did that? Ultimately, God did that, but you know who He used to do it through? Wells Baptist Church in Pulaski, Tennessee. I mean, the most tiny little insignificant church in Guatemala... Gracias, in, in uh, Buena Vista, gracias a Dios, no one's ever heard of before. Most people never heard of Pulaski, Tennessee either, right? And God brings those two churches together and said, I want to do something special here. I want to take these two churches and I want to, I want to knit them together. And I want to unite them. And I want to see my kingdom grow. I want to see people know me, know me more. I want to see people hear the gospel. I want to see people transformed by my word who can know me and enjoy me forever through these two little churches that no one's ever heard of before. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome. Now, as I said before, Buena Vista is beautiful, but it is not the most comfortable place on the planet to go, right? It's not, it's not a, people aren't breaking down the doors. It's not the new up-and-coming desti- uh, vacation destination. It's hard. It's rough. It's muddy. It's smelly. You can't take a shower, Right? And for you guys to go and to serve in that way, you had to come from Pulaski, Tennessee, from your heating and your air conditioning and your hot water and your cars and your side-by-sides and your four-wheelers and things that get you up and down the mountain without dying, right? Sometimes, unless you're Chris Pope, and then you might die. Um, And you humbled yourself, and you came to Guatemala, 
and you served and you loved and you shared the gospel, you know, it sounds a whole lot like something else. It sounds a whole lot like the God of the universe humbling himself and coming down to earth because he sees a need. And he sees a people who not only have physical needs, but most and more importantly have spiritual needs that need to be met. And you guys have done that as a church. Something, again, that is not just, you know, we talk a lot about um, the Great Commission and going, right? But it's so much more than that. The act of going is an act of worship. Why? Because it's an act of imitation. An imitation of God who did it first. And when you go and you, and, you, and, you, and you do that, you're an imitation of God who did it first. But here's the deal. I know all of you haven't gone, but all of you have given time, money, effort, Goodness, I, I would talk to Chris and he'd tell me what you guys are pulling off with yard sales and um, um, hamburger steak dinners and spaghetti suppers and my goodness. This, is a, this has been an, an, a church-wide, Wells Baptist Church effort and I would say even a community-wide. And for some of you, you've come to Guatemala and you have experienced great transformation in your own life through coming and going. And you've brought that back here to Pulaski, Tennessee. But you know what else? Pulaski, Tennessee has watched a church do this. Because Pulaski's small enough that this wasn't done in such a way that no one else in Pulaski knew it happened. Right? People are talking. People are hearing of what you're doing and how you're doing it and where you're going and why you're going. My goodness. The impact and the transformation that has happened in Guatemala. I wish I had eyes and understanding to see the impact and transformation that's happened in Wells Baptist Church, but in Pulaski, Tennessee, through what you guys have been a part of in the last five years. And the cool thing for me is not just to get to come here and say, man, this is all that's been accomplished. And it is awesome and it is overwhelming and it's something that will go on for years to come. But also to know that, that you guys as a church are considering starting another one. Let's do it again, right? And I go, man, God, this is awesome. This is awesome to see a church that says, God, we're sold out. We love you. What does Paul say in that passage there? He says that, that this, this act of grace that you're doing, what does he say? He says it is, it's, it's proof of the, 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 your love is genuine, right? This is proof that your love is genuine. When you guys go and you do this, it's, it's proof that your love is genuine. When you give towards this, when you put towards your, your, your effort, your hard-earned money towards this, it is proof that your love for God is genuine, not just to yourself, but to each other. And not just to each other, but to the community. And not just the community, but to the people in Guatemala as well. And the ripple effects of that go on beyond anything you or I can comprehend. Why? Because the church is faithful. To do what God called them to do. To be who God called them to be. And there's one more piece that I haven't pulled out yet. Wells Baptist Church supports chosen people on a monthly basis that money has sponsored pastors to be trained. And it's somewhere, it's getting somewhere around 200 pastors now that you guys have sponsored through that monthly support to be trained like Florentine has been trained. Now, if you imagine the spiritual impact of Florentine, a transformation that has come over him and him preaching the word in Buena Vista, imagine with me for a second that in 200 other communities in Mexico and Guatemala. You can't quantify the impact of that. And it's something simple. 
It's just something, just a check goes out. You give your tithes and offerings on a weekly basis, and that check goes out at Chosen People every month, right? Probably most people didn't even know that goes out there, but it does. It goes out there. And it's training pastors in Mexico and Guatemala. There's more fruit from that than you can ever imagine. And you know what? That's your fruit. That's your fruit. You may never have been outside the U.S. You may not ever go to Guatemala or Mexico or Africa or India or wherever, but your faithfulness is bearing fruit all over the world. And you will never understand. I hope when we get to heaven, we'll get to understand because it'll be really cool just to see how God uses one little thing and it just, just multiplies. I think it's going to be awesome. I hope we get to see that when we get there. Um, but I, I love you guys. I love how well this passage in, in 2 Corinthians mirrors what you guys have done in Buena Vista, Guatemala. You had the desire to go and you started the work. You continued the work and you finished the work and you're looking to do the work again. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be incredible. Um, and I am thankful for the, the part that I've been able to play um, in doing this with you guys. It has truly been awesome. It's truly been awesome. And I'm very, very thankful for you guys. And if you haven't been, get yourself a passport. You will not come back the same. And if you can't go, give. Time, effort, money, whatever it takes. God transforms His people through His Word, but He also transforms His people through obedience. There's, there's two things in Scripture that we see over and over again. One is hard hearts, and we see soft hearts, pliable hearts, obedient hearts. And everywhere you see the Bible talk about hardness of heart, it is right there with someone who knows the right thing and chooses not to do it. Disobedience is how you harden a heart. But at the same time, everywhere you see soft hearts, it's paired with obedience. Obedience is how you soften a heart. You want to be transformed by God? Be obedient. Get in His Word. Listen to His Word. Sit under the preaching and teaching here. Get discipled. But don't just hear it. Do it. Be obedient. And God will transform you through that. And I've seen... I've seen many of you be transformed in the last five years. And I've seen a whole lot of transformation in Guatemala through what you guys have done in the last five years. And I'm excited to see what God continues to do through you guys in another church partnership in Guatemala or in Africa or wherever God calls you guys to go and to be faithful and to do and to give. Um, I'm excited to see where God, where God takes you guys. Uh, let me pray for us and then I'll, I'll turn over to you, Kev. <clears throat> <sighs> Heavenly Father, thank you for I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Um, and I thank you that you have called each and every one of them to yourself. God, if there's anyone here you have not called yourself, they do not know you as your personal Savior. God, I pray that you would call them and your Holy Spirit would open their hearts that they would believe and be transformed by your Holy Spirit and by your Word. And I thank you for just the faithfulness of this church. I thank you for the faithfulness of its leadership to, to, 
to make disciples and to teach the word and to lead well. And but I got to thank you for the, for the example of this church and, and generosity uh, and selflessness and the willingness to to go and the willingness to sacrifice. God, I thank you that that looks like you. It's got you all over it. God, I thank you that you give us the opportunity and the ability to do that, to copy you and to look like you and to imitate you. And God, that's exactly what you want. You want us to be transformed into the image of your son. That we people look at us, they see you. God, when I look at Wells Baptist Church, I see you. Broken people, yes. Sinners, yes. But I see you all over it. And I thank you for that. God, I thank you for what they've done in Guatemala. God, I thank, you, I thank you that even now as we're meeting here in Pulaski, Tennessee, they're meeting there. Um, and they're opening your word and they're, they're praising you and worship and they're, they're praying together. And I thank you for giving us that, that unity. Even though we're 3,000 miles apart, we worship the same God. We've been transformed by the same gospel. And God, you are gracious and merciful and loving with us, and you are gracious and merciful and loving with them. And God, I thank you for how you have used us in their life and in their church, and I thank you for how they, you know, you've used them in Wells Baptist Church and how you've used them in my own life. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would give Pastor Florentine wisdom and discernment in leading his church and leading his family. I pray that you would, God, you would Help him to know and understand what it means to love his wife and love, him, love her well, to reflect you through that, declare the gospel by how he loves and serves his family. I pray for their church, God, that they continue to grow in their knowledge and understanding of you. I pray that many more people would come to know you in that community. They would be, they would be able to be baptized and discipled and become disciple makers. And God, I thank you that of all the things that we've said today, of all the things that we've seen done in the last five years that we could, we could hang our hats on and say, that's good. God, you've done it all. You've, you've done it all. And you've allowed us to be a part of it in one way or another, but you've allowed us to have that be our fruit. And really, it's your fruit, God, but you let us, you let us share in the glory of that. And God, we turn around and give that glory back to you. God, I pray for Wells Baptist Church. I pray that you would just continue to bless them. God, as much as they have been a blessing to others, God, I pray that you would return that to them tenfold. Not so, not so that they can be more comfortable or, or, or as they're looking to redo the, the chair or the, the pews and the floors, and not so they can just turn it all back into a building. And they, they can do that and they should do that and they need to do that. But God, I pray that you would bless them tenfold so they can serve tenfold so they can go tenfold and they can support missions and ministries and go to their neighbors and go to Tennessee and go to the outermost parts of the world. God, I pray that you would bless their faithfulness, transform them by their faithfulness. God, I thank you that you have called us. Even though we do not deserve your love and your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, God, you, you have called us and you love us, not because we deserve your love, but just because you choose to. And in spite of our weakness, in spite of our failures, you choose to love and to forgive and to be patient and allow us to imitate you. Huh. How what a privilege it is to be able to look like you, even if it's just a little bit, to be able to look like you. 
thank you for that privilege. I thank you for our time here today. God, may we leave more in love with you and more encouraged to serve you and to be faithful stewards of what you have given us. Father, we love you and praise you. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.